Amen. When uh, um, I was uh, growing up, my dad, he wasn't fair. Maybe some of you have had similar experiences. He, he wasn't fair because he told me even he wasn't fair. He told me that he was going to be harder on me and on my siblings than he was going to be on other children. And uh, he said because he, we had responsibility to him because he, had, he taught us what was the, the right way and the wrong way. Other people he didn't know about. But for us, he knew. And he knew what we were capable of and so he was always harder on us than on others. It really came to bear when he coached my baseball team. I think, maybe I'm a little exaggerating here in my memory, but I think every time he made the rest of the team run a mile, he made me run too. But maybe a little outside of reality there, just the memory of a child. And uh, much to my children's chagrin, I've passed on, I've carried that trait with me from my father to them. And uh, they'll tell you in a heartbeat that I'm harder on them, right? than I am on any other, any other children, any, anybody else, because the same reason. I think that God, our Heavenly Father, is the same way with us. He has a higher expectation for those that He has rescued from sin, from those that He has chosen, those that, that He has made known His truth, He has a higher expectation for us because, in a sense, we ought to know better. And we have the power of the Spirit within us. That's what we'll find out, Amos says, to Israel in his day. We just started last week walking through the the book of Amos. And Amos is a prophet. He's one who comes to to speak the word of God to God's people. And what we'll see as we look at this passage is his direct word. Last week we talked about how he talked about all the other nations around. Today he hones his sights in on the people of God. On the the church in his day. Let's... uh, Pray together. Gracious God, thank you for your written word. Thank you for this time that we we gather together to receive from you, to sing of your praises, to gather with one another before you. Now, we ask that your written word would come alive in our lives, that we would hear from you what we need to hear, that you would reveal to us what is, is true about you, And what you would want to be true in us. In the name of Jesus we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Uh, Amos chapter 2, we're going to start with verse 4. It's on page 744 in your pew Bible or you can follow along the screen. We'll also look, um, jump from uh, verse 4 through 8 and then over to the first uh, seven verses of chapter 2. Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Judah and for four, 
I will not revoke the punishment because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept His statutes. But they have been led astray by the same lies after which their ancestors walked. So I will send a fire on Judah and it shall devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Israel and for four I will not revoke the punishment because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and push the afflicted out of the way. Father and son go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. And in the house of their God they drink wine bought with fines they imposed. Hear this word. That the Lord has spoken against you. O people of Israel. Against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore I will punish you for all your iniquities. Do two walk together unless they have made an appointment? Does a lion roar in the forest when it has no prey? Does a young lion cry out from its den... If it has caught nothing, does a bird fall into a snare on the earth when there is no trap for it? Does a snare spring up from the ground when it has taken nothing? Is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Does disaster befall a city unless the Lord has done it? Surely the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, I want to remind you of where we were last week. Remember, Amos is, he's really, he's not a professional prophet. He's not a professional Christian. He's a, he's a shepherd and a tree farmer. And God has called him. He actually was living in Tekoa, which is in the southern part of Judah. And if you remember why Amos talks to, like in our passage here, talks to Israel and then to Judah. Israel is the the northern kingdom. Judah is the southern kingdom. They're, They're both together God's people. They should be one nation, but they've had civil war. And so Judah being the southern kingdom, Israel being the northern kingdom. So Amos, he's from Judah. And yet God has called him as a shepherd as a tree farmer, to then come into the northern kingdom to preach God's discipline on God's people. So you can imagine, he's got a lot of strikes against him. Not many reasons that people are going to hear it. So, the way he starts out, though, is just brilliant. We talked about this last time, you know, how he went and talked. He pointed God's judgment on all the nations around Israel. Moab and Gaza and Damascus and others. And in each one, he, he, he told them that God was going to bring judgment and he told them why. And in general, the reason God's judgment on these secular nations, these secular cities, the reason God was going to bring judgment on these secular nations was because they had abused, mistreated people who were their opponents or who were among them. In a common language, they had abused the the human rights 
of those around them. It's important to remember that when we then look at Judah. But what Amos, so what Amos devised to get people to hear him, he, he's the, all these other nations, they're, they're the enemies of Israel. I mean, they're the nations or the cities that would come through and attack them here and there, try to steal parts of their land, and they would return the favor and do the same to them. So these are the enemies. I mean, in a simple way, let's say that God uh, cared about the National Football League. And uh, he chose the Cincinnati Bengals. Okay? And yet he had judgment for Cincinnati to hear. But the way he got them to hear the judgment was to first bring all the judgment on the other nations, right? On the other teams. Yo, Indianapolis Colts, you are in trouble. I'm going to bring judgment upon you. And he did this year, uh, for sure. And then he gets a little closer to home. Uh, Baltimore Ravens bring judgment upon you. Uh, Ron's a Baltimore fan. And then Cleveland, the Browns, here's the judgment that I'm going to bring upon you. Now at this time, you know, if you're a Cincinnati fan, you're like, cool. You go, Amos. Go. Yeah, bring it on. Bring it on them. But who are you waiting to hear? Yeah. And here it comes. Here it comes. Now, wait a minute. Pittsburgh, the judgment upon you. And now by that time, all the Bengals fans and even the wannabes, they're totally into it. They are, go, Amos, go. God, you go get them. And that's exactly what Amos did with Judah, with Israel. He went to all the opposing teams and then went to the main rival, Judah. They they didn't like each other. I mean, they were in civil war with one another. And pointed God's sight upon them. So by the time Amos got to that, the crowd had started to gather. They were cheering. And then Amos said, and now you, Israel. Here is God's judgment. God's disciplining word upon you. And if you notice, both with Judah and with Israel, the basis of their judgment is different than the basis on all the secular cities around. For Judah, what we the first part that we read, you've rejected the law. You have rejected what I have told you. You've been led astray by the same lies of those that went before you. The basis is no longer sort of a conscience, a a natural understanding of, of common humanity, but now it is the very law of God, the Word of God that has been given to them. And then to Israel, similarly, in the middle of the, the judgment, it's still about how you treat human beings, but it's based upon your relationship with God. You know, all, all that was happening was causing God's holy name to be profaned. The end of verse 7. You see, the the heart of why Amos brought that judgment upon Israel and Judah, especially in what we read in the beginning, very beginning of chapter 3. O people of Israel, this word is against you, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. You 
only have I known. Of all the families of the earth, you are the ones that I have chosen. Therefore, I will punish you. Now, this, it, it is good regularly for us to, to hear the words of judgment periodically from the Scriptures. Otherwise, we get an out-of-balance understanding of the love of God. God's love is active here. Brilliantly active. Powerfully active. Because He's saying, I chose you. You're the ones that I know. And that word know is not head knowledge. That's an Old Testament biblical understanding of knowledge. You know, Adam knew Eve and they had children. It's an intimate knowledge. I knew you. I, I have chosen you. I'm the one, remember? I brought you up from nothing. I, I created you. I'm the one that called Abraham and Sarah. They were over 90. And yet I said, you're going to have a baby. And from this, the whole nation will be, be born. That will bless the whole of creation. And that's back in Genesis 12. That, that's the, when God says, in you, Abraham and Sarah, I'm going to call a nation. I'm going to form a nation. And from that nation will be the blessing of the whole world. Abraham and Sarah agreed. To that promise, they, they said, okay, we're in. And then began the covenant between God and God's people. The, the promises with one another. That, that wasn't just for Abraham and Sarah to have a baby. It wasn't just that their prayers would be answered about their own needs and desires. It wasn't just to, to make them happy and complete. They were chosen in order to bring salvation to the whole world. And so Abraham and Sarah then it becomes the nation of Israel and uh, they are the people of Israel who are then uh, enslaved in, in Egypt. And so the people call out, God, we've messed up here, you know, get us out of this mess. And God says, okay. And he calls Moses. Moses and Aaron and Miriam then lead them out of slavery. They want, leads them through in the midst of their own fallenness, wanders around for 40 years in the wilderness. But God still leads, God is fulfilling His promise to Abraham and Sarah. He is fulfilling His covenant. And they, He then leads them into the promised land. Where there they have kings, and that's where we find them now. And God, in His love and His faithful love, will continue to keep up His end of the bargain. He will fulfill His covenant. He will not forget His people. He will not forget His world. And if, and if His people, though, choose to forget Him in His love, He will not forget them. And He will intersect into their lives so that they will get back into the way of God, not just for their own salvation and rescue, but for the rescue of the whole world. That's why God chose Israel. That's why God chose you. That's why God chose us, not just for our own salvation, not just to keep it for ourselves. I mean, we do the passing of the peace, not so that we can just shake our hands and say hello to one another. We do it because there's theological depth in doing that. It is so natural for us to, to keep our salvation and our rescue for ourselves, for our own satisfaction, like, like church is some store. Where we come get our religious needs met and have our sins forgiven so that then we can go home and be happy. 
That's great. Go home and be happy. But man, that is not the full implications of our salvation. That is not why God chose us. And that's what Amos wanted to tell Israel. This is not just about you being happy. This is about you being God's chosen people. To carry out, to be a different kind of people. To live according to a different guideline. Not just be nice to one another, but that you live according to the ways of Jesus. I mean, they didn't know that at that time. But we do. So he told them, you're, you're forgetting. You are forgetting the ways of God. You're, you, you've lost that way. So God, I, God's got to intersect in a serious way, in order to cause repentance. Not just for their own benefit, but for the salvation of the world. It is a sign of God's great love that He disciplines us. If you are in a habit of sin and brokenness, and God isn't disciplining you, that's when to get scared. Because the writer of Hebrews tells us clearly that it's a sign of God's love that God disciplines us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7. We had human parents to discipline us, and we respected them. Should we now be even more willing to be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they, our earthly parents, disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But He, but God, disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share His holiness. Now discipline always seems painful rather than pleasant at the time. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. The first word from Amos to the people of Israel is do not neglect the ethical realities, the the life application realities of your salvation. It is not just to, to rescue your soul for days coming when Jesus returns or when you die. It is to rescue your whole life right now so that you might be a peculiar people, Peter calls us. A a people who live according to a different set of rules who might be a witness to Jesus to the rest of the world wherever we go. Now I want to note then also the the, the reasons that that God then brings this, this judgment upon Israel. Before before I do that, I mean It's God fulfilling His promises, fulfilling His covenant, which is the same covenant that we all made at baptism. A couple weeks ago, we we renewed our vows at baptism. And and if if you were here, you recall, we said that we renounce evil. Somebody come up to me later and said, man, that's cool. I've never renounced evil before. At least not in those words. But that is the radical nature of what baptism is, what the promises are of baptism. That we are, we are not going the way of the evil one that is real and true. We are not going the way of the world. We are repenting. We are changing. We are joining Jesus' team and we're going to follow Him as coach. That's the, the covenant, the promises that we make. 
And God promises to us to lead us, to guide us in that way. And so if we, if we steer clear of him, God will fulfill his promises, though, and still point us back, lead us back. And that's what he was doing with Israel then. Now look at how then they've disobeyed God. And this, this we talked about a little bit last week. It's important to see these particulars because it's here. It's like when any, any parent in their best moment. When, when parents in their best moments are, are disciplining their children. <coughs> There's plenty of moments when I discipline not in my best moments. But there are every once in a while that I, I do it in my best moment. And what that usually means is that it's not out of anger but it's out of love and correction for my children, that they would go the way that I believe to be right, the best that I know how. That it would be something that is important to me, significant to me. Otherwise, you know, I'm not going to waste the time and energy. How much more so with God, who, who disciplines perfectly. When He intersects with God's people and He's disciplining them, at the very least, what we learn is what is crucial to God. What is so important to Him that He would intersect and cause pain among His people and lead them back to Him. And what we'll see throughout Amos and we'll see throughout the prophets that it goes back to what He's even saying to the nations around. It's how are you and how are the institutions of which you're a part treating those that are weak and broken and helpless. That is at the heart of God. How are we treating those in our own communities, in our own lives? How are you treating, how are you at school treating those who are really uncool, who sit by themselves at lunch? That's really important to God. How, how are, are we as a community, as a city, as a nation, treating those that are weak, that are not accepted, that are poor? Here again, his words, Amos' words to Israel. Because they sell the righteous for silver. The, the, the meaning of righteous there is trusting. They're trusting. You know, they're innocent. Innocently trusting those that are leading them. And what was happening is they were just using the innocent for their own profit. You sell the needy for a pair of sandals. You trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and push the afflicted out of the way. And then... Their own pleasure is then even somehow integrated into their religious practices. So it gets doubly bad here. Their father and son go into the same girl. And the word for girl there is temple prostitute. They'd worked it out to where it was religious to have a relationship with a prostitute. So that my holy name is profaned. And they lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. Now, this is in Exodus. 
the poor would borrow things. They would make a promise that they would fulfill um, for some, uh, in a sense, an advance on their, their food. And they would give their garment, their outer garment, to their benefactor as a pledge. Say, I'm going to pay you back or I'm going to come work for you tomorrow. But the law, this is in the scriptures, the law said they do that, but you've got to give the outer garment back to the poor at night because that's, their, that's what they sleep in. That's what they sleep on. And, and what Amos is saying, you don't even do that. You take their garments and you sleep on them. You don't give them back like the law says to. And on top of that, you lay it down next to any religious altar and even into the temple. It got that bad in his day. And then you sit around drinking wine that has been given by the people as offerings. In the house of their God, they drink wine bought with fines they imposed. They had focused, they had lost focus on Him, they had lost focus on others. I mean, how Jesus summarized it, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. What Amos is saying to Israel is, you're not doing either. And matter of fact, it's not just you're not doing it, but you're going totally the opposite direction. Now, as I considered this and just considered our day, two, two pictures came to mind. One is rather blatant and clear uh, as positive examples of how fellow Jesus followers says, I've heard this word, heard this call of God to, to, that his people, they're following him, and they will care for those that are oppressed. They will care for those that can't help themselves. They will reach out for them. And, and this Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. What a powerful example in our history of one who was following Jesus, was following the God of justice, and who spoke out for those who couldn't speak for themselves. Who put himself in harm's way in order that the church and the nation would change our actions. In order that we would not participate in the oppression of others because of their race. And he, he heard the word of Amos and was called to lead the church. To face that sin. And to lead us, to then lead the nation to face that sin and address it. So that all would have equal voice and equal opportunity, really. He also spoke to us that it's not enough to not participate in what's evil. It's not just a call, well, don't do the bad stuff. For, for he was regularly speaking to the church about our silence. Never, never be afraid to do what's right, especially if the well-being of a person is at stake. Society's punishments are small compared to the wounds we inflict on our soul when we look the other way. Not only will we have to repent for the sins of bad people, but we will have to repent also for the appalling silence of good people. And then finally, one that's uh, right on us, uh, right before us today. I'm afraid 
Um, it's got a whole lot of press. A whole bunch of press. Um, matter of fact, uh, last weekend uh, had like 9,000 tweets a second about this fellow um, follower of Jesus. And uh, that was Tim Tebow. After they, bit, they beat Pittsburgh. 9,000 tweets a second. And there was all kinds of stuff going on about, you know, he threw for 316 yards. That's John 316. Well, that's nice. That's cute. But that, that kind of stuff doesn't really impress me. I'm cynic about some of those things. But I read this article this week, and this impresses me. This is what Amos is talking about, what a follower of Jesus would do. And in the midst of all the fame that's been happening, I know he lost last night, um, but uh, I bet he's over it. Especially after hearing about this. Because as quarterback for the Denver Broncos and all the resources that he has, he brings different families to every game. And those families are particularly broken. They are in, in some way in, uh, um, uh, had, had faced tragedy or are facing it. One was a quarterback, a blue-chip prospect for a, a high school team in Chesapeake, Virginia. And because of a freaky tackle, he uh, broke his leg and it had to be amputated right above his knee. I mean, a, a star high school quarterback. Tim Tebow heard about it. Sent him tickets to he and his family and told him to, to come to the game. Gave him great seats, spent some time with him before the game, and then after he did all his stuff with the press, sat down with him after the game for an hour. Told him, you know, stay with it, man. You, you are my hero. Last week, he uh, um, met, uh, he brought in Bailey Knob, 16-year-old girl, who, in her 16 years, has had 73 surgeries on her body. And yet, Tebow brought her and her family in, sat them down, uh, made sure they were taken care of, played the game. And after playing you know, the game of his life, he did all that he needed to do with the NFL and then sat down with them for an hour. Uh, this is what uh, uh, Bailey's mom says. Here he just played the game of his life. And the first thing he does after his press conference is come find Bailey and ask, did you get anything to eat? He acted like what he'd just done wasn't anything. Like it was all about Bailey. And he'd bring other people in. He'd bring in Coach Fox, bring in John Elway, the star quarterback. And then, but sat down and asked about them and shared with them and told them that they were his hero. I thought, man, what a great example, a positive example of one who has every reason, every social reason to just be concerned about himself and take his fame and make as much as he can. But instead he uses the resource because it seems to me, you know, a fruit, you know, a tree by its fruit. And that he is demonstrating, even in the midst of great fame and prosperity, the love of Christ. The final thing I, I share with you is that the king um, in Amos' day ruled, it's Jeroboam II. He ruled Israel for 41 years. Yet if you go look at 2 Kings 14, he's only got seven verses. He ruled them for 41 years. 
And the seven verses basically say, you know, he had some good military conquests, good social success, and, and prosperity to the nation of Israel. But he promoted the ways of other gods. The end. That's all the space that he gets in the biblical literature. It's because God's telling us, listen, this is what my heart is. My heart, it's great. It really is barely worth mentioning what Jeroboam II accomplished as the king of Israel for those 41 years. Because he wasn't pursuing the heart of God. It really wasn't impressive to God. As we hear from Amos, we get to hear what truly is valuable to God. What truly does impress God. What is important to Him. What are the the promises that we're to, to keep at our baptism. Because He has rescued us. Because He knows us. And because He teaches us. And leads us, not only for our own sake, but for the sake of the world. We give thanks that God's love includes His discipline. Of me, of you, and of the church throughout the ages. Amen. Now, gives a little meaning, a little extra meaning to what baptism means. At least it does for me as we venture into baptism with Monica and Kelly. That what, this is what they're agreeing to in terms of following the ways of God. And what we are agreeing to is their, their community of faith that we're, we're going to be an example for them in the ways of God. So Monica and Kelly, Zach or Renee, you want to come, come forward? As you know, Monica and Kelly uh, joined the Vanderveen family almost two years ago, right? Two years Friday, okay. Uh, and now they, we have the privilege of, of joining with them as they uh, promise um, to uh, follow the ways of God, as they join in that covenant with God and with us and with the church throughout the ages. So as we enter into that, let's all affirm our basic beliefs through with one another and with the church uh, around the world and throughout the ages by the, the words of the Apostles' Creed. I invite you to stand and, and affirm together. Do you believe in God the Father? I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God? I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he will come to judge the living and the dead. Do you believe in God, the Holy Spirit? 
I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Now, Kelly and uh, Monica, if uh, you all come over here with me and face face the congregation that we, we met and we talked about this and have a couple, have three questions that we um, talked about then that you uh, would answer before God and before the congregation. Now, do you, Kelly and Monica, want to be on Jesus' team? Do you? Do you believe that He forgives you of your sins? Do you? And do you promise in the power of the Holy Spirit to live like Jesus wants you to live? Do you? All right. Can you all uh, kneel right here for me? Get on your knees. Rodillas. <laughs> I remember that. Spanish comes in. Let's pray. Dear gracious God, we thank you for your love for us that chooses us. Your love that rescues us, your love that leads us into the fullness of life. And we pray in this moment that this, this water will not just be a, a moment that we remember, but one where your, your water will plant seeds, will water seeds of faith and cause it to grow And Monica and Kelly. That these, this waters of baptism we will remember in our own lives for our own promises to you. We pray in the power of your Holy Spirit that you will continue to plant those seeds, continue to water, continue to fertilize them for your glory and for the salvation of the world. Monica, baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Kelly, I baptize you in the name of the Father. It's cold, huh? In the name of the Son. In the name of the Holy Spirit. We present to you in the name of Jesus Christ, Monica and Kelly. Amen. Beth has a question for you, the congregation. Okay, since we are the, the church that is going to be welcoming and nurturing these sweet girls who we love, I have a question for us. Our question is, do we promise to receive Monica and Kelly in love and encourage and sustain them in the fellowship of believers? With God's, With God's help, we, we will proclaim the good news and live according to the example of Christ. We will surround Kelly and Monica with a community of love and forgiveness that they may grow in their service to others. We will, we will pray for them that they may be true disciples who walk in the way of Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, as we just said, and as we do regularly, come with me, girls. 
I mean, they are a part of the family of God. I mean, they uh, will learn what it means to love. They will learn what it means to serve. They will learn what justice looks like. And some are more excited than others. But they will learn that from watching you, from seeing you love and, and care for one another. They, they will learn from you who are older siblings. They will learn how they can love one another. They will learn from you what it means to, to know and follow Jesus. They will learn about Him because you'll be teaching Sunday school. You'll be leading the youth group. And you'll be an example from which maybe not it's taught, but it's caught. And that's what we've just agreed to, what we've affirmed for them and for all. And uh, who have made, joined the, the covenant with God. And so we join, you can go back to mom and dad. We join with, uh, with uh, you, Zach and Renee, in uh, fulfilling those promises. Now Beth has a prayer for us uh, Would you pray with me, please? Father, we thank you for the whole Vanderveen family. We thank you for Kelly and Monica, and Lord, those of us who have known them since they joined this family, we know and rejoice in the fact that this is what we've been waiting for. Um, We have, have prayed for them long before we knew them, and now they stand before all of us, and declare that they want to know and follow you. And we thank you for them. Um, Lord, we thank you for Kelly and her spunk. Lord, we, we have um, all been blessed by her carefree spirit. And Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that she would grow to use that to have a courage to speak truth even when it's difficult. And to, to do the crazy things sometimes that nobody else has the courage to do. And Lord, I thank you for Monica's strength. And Lord, I ask that you would mature that strength in her to a place where she can stand firm for you all the days of her life. We thank you for Zach and Renee. And we beg of you to empower them with all they need to parent these two girls that you've entrusted to them. God, our Father, we praise you for calling us to be a servant people and for gathering us into the body of Christ. We thank you for choosing to add to our number brothers and sisters in faith. Together may we live in your spirit and so love one another that we may have the mind of Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom we give honor and glory forever. Amen. 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 Uh-huh. I in- invite you to continue in a time of prayer, um, and particularly um, pray uh, for a group that will be going to um, Orlando this week, um, and if. Uh, it's that uh, if you've been following along, some haven't, but if you have, um, we, uh, as part of a larger church, are wondering the decisions of the church we're disagreeing with. 
And we're in a, in a time of saying, as was happening in Amos' day, is the church missing the mark of where God would lead us? And so we as a church are seeking to say, as a particular church, how do we relate to the larger denomination of churches and the decisions that are being made and how we disagree with them? And so a group of folks from here will be going down to a, an event in Orlando to meet uh, with other churches. Over 2,100 people will be there as part of the, the church to learn for what, what they're doing, um, to learn some different options, um, to uh, uh, continue to explore those options, and then to report back to the session and to the church what that looks like. Uh, this particular group is, is taking a, a charge of resourcing the session to best guide us to seek God's will as a particular church for what will best enable us to follow God's leading to fulfill His purposes in this particular church. So I ask for those that will be going to this uh, event in Orlando, if you all would stand. Um, Kathy and I are going. There's Mary Sue is going. Sam Stair over here is going. Paul and Terry Strassinger and Jan Johnson. Um, uh, there will be others that will be there with us. Um, but I invite you to be praying with us this, uh, this week um, as we'll be down there um, during this, this time. Let's uh, continue in prayer together. Gracious God, we ask as your people that you would um, fulfill your end of the bargain. You will lead and guide us. You will correct us. You will bring discipline. And you will bring blessing so that we will best fulfill your purposes. Carry out your will for our salvation and for the salvation of the world. We join together in, in one voice uh, our, our desire to be your people, to be your church without walls. And we, we ask, uh, Lord, that you would so lead and protect those that are going down to Orlando, those that are um, um, gathering there, that your spirit would superintend and guide uh, those events and the deliberations to best fulfill your purposes. We surrender unto you. And we join in, in one voice um, as uh, to seek to be your church for your kingdom. Dear God, make us into your community for your glory. Connect us in Jesus no matter our differences. Lead us to serve the world like Jesus, no matter the cost. Help us to celebrate you, no matter the circumstances. We need you, Holy Spirit, to empower us for greater works than Jesus. Amen. Now, as God has given to us, um, generously and cheerfully and sacrificially, let us uh, give unto him.